Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Today, the trail less traveled is being recorded at Lake Missoula Tea Company, nestled here in the mountains of Missoula, Montana. At the moment, the mountains are snow-covered, and we are surrounded by the smell of a variety of teas from around the world. We're sitting in the back of Lake Missoula Tea Company with one of the owners, Jake. Jake, I just want to say thank you for joining me on the Trail Less Travel today. My pleasure. My first question for you is, where did you grow up, and how was adventure a part of your childhood? I grew up in the suburbs, primarily. My dad was in the corporate world, and... My exposure to adventure was what I could find in the forests and the fields, mostly in Ohio. Those were my formative years, but we moved several times growing up because of my dad's jobs. And so I did have a couple stints in California. We were in the Bay Area in the late 60s. There, I can remember you know, going down and seeing all the hippies, you know, the flower power generations. And then we moved to California again when I was in high school, and that's actually where I graduated, was in San Marino, so you know, right outside LA. But my memories of my childhood is largely, like I said, just the mischief and the adventure that you can get into, just kind of roaming around your neighborhoods. Not a lot of wilderness in Ohio, so it was different, but I knew that I had a strong connection to nature. That was innate. And as I got older, my brother and I started doing some backpacking. I can remember he and a buddy of his and I went down to North Carolina and did a great trip into the Shining Rock Wilderness. And Shining Rock is named because the air pilots, or the commercial air pilots, can see it because it's white quartz. And they can see it, you know, from the top. So we did a trip down there. And, of course, you know, that's the Southern Appalachians. So that was a really good introduction, you know, into the National Wilderness Preservation System in the United States. I can also remember in college, we would frequently go down to Red River Gorge, which is on the Daniel Boone National Forest. And there was a place that we would go to where you had to climb up these Indian steps, literally carved into the rock. And then you'd come up on the top of the little ridge and you wrapped around in this beautiful little alcove that had a nice flat table and a rock couch and a nice fire pit inside there and we must have gone down there five or six times when I was in college you know so it was a little backcountry escape for us but it wasn't really until I moved to Montana you know that I kind of truly actualized my adventure spirit Mm -hmm. and that happened in 1985 I had gotten accepted here to the environmental studies program at the University of Montana. And of course, it's one of the oldest environmental studies programs in the country. But for me, you know, it was my ticket. 
out of the Midwest. I really longed for not just the physical wildness, but also that kind of imaginary wildness that you have in your head. And I can remember driving out to Montana and just seeing the West, you know, just mile after mile of just the openness of it. And again, I had never really experienced that before. So yeah, I put the whammy on me for sure. And, you know, I've lived in Missoula since then. Yeah, never left. Certainly done a lot of adventures and had some stints outside of Missoula, but this has been my home since that point. Moving to Montana kind of fired in me the sense of wanting to fight for it, you know, wanting to protect it. And, and back then, of course, there was a lot that was still on the table. And there still is today. You know, much of that hasn't gone away when we talk about roadless areas, you know, and these wildlands that are still threatened by our dear government and a lot of the private industry that mines it, logs it, drills in it, you know, you name it, the threats are still there. But that sense of environmental activism, I got right away. And so I got involved with Montana Earth First. Earth First had formed in the early 80s. And so we had a small chapter, if you will, small group here in Montana. And some of those founders really got few of us here in Missoula really engaged. Eventually, we changed the name from Montana Earth First to Wild Rockies Earth First to reflect the place, the bioregion that we lived in. Because for us, it wasn't so much about the state boundaries. It was much more about these mountain ranges and these rivers and just all of these amazing places, you know, that had formed here. So for about 20 years, I was a pretty hardcore environmental activist. You know, I did finish my degree, so I got my master's in environmental studies. But by that time, I'd already started an organization with two Australians called the Native Forest Network. And that was a product of me going to Australia for a year after I finished my degree. And I worked down in northern New South Wales in a town called Lismore for a group called the Rainforest Information Center. And one of the founders of it, John Seed, had been coming over to the U.S. and doing roadshows, environmental roadshows. And so he was quite the favorite in the Earth First communities. And he had encouraged me, once I finished my paper, my professional paper, which I did on the Tropical Forestry Action Plan, to come down and, and spend some time at the Rainforest Information Center and work. And so that's what I did. After I got my paper turned in and everything was kosher, I flew down to Australia and it was my first really big international trip, you know, where I was on my own. I spent three weeks on the North Island in New Zealand, just hitchhiking around. I was there 21 days. I only spent three nights in hostels or I got picked up, brought back to homes, had a few friends down there that also hooked me up. But I just couldn't believe just how hospitable the Kiwis were. And I felt very much the same way in Australia. And that was, for me, really where I cut my teeth, you know, in terms of international travel and that feeling of being part of something bigger. I will say that the world we live in, as Heather said, it is small once you form those relationships, but it's still a very overwhelming place for a lot of people. The connections that I have made 
through my international travels have made the world seem smaller, even though it's such a vast place. And I think that for a lot of Americans, they never even think about what's beyond our country or even beyond the state that they live in. So one of the, I think, real missions of Lake Missoula Tea Company is to bring that world closer to people who have yet to really experience it. And so in that sense, the fact that I've gone from an environmental activist to a small business owner, you know, running a tea company, that really, I think, is a direct product, you know, of that recognition that once you make the effort to move out of your comfort zone and to travel to other cultures, I think it really changes your mindset and it changes, you know, maybe not all of the values that are part of your psyche and of your existence, but I know for me, going from doing a lot of confrontational type of activism, you know, and it's an art, obviously, to confront the powers that be and do it in a way that's both ethical, respectful, but, you know, also hard enough hitting that you know you're getting their attention. But going from that into more of a problem solving, you know, and more of how I can contribute to some of the solutions. And again, there's a long process, you know, it certainly didn't happen overnight, but without those travels, you know, as I said, for me to Australia, I I got a chance to go to Chile in the nineties. You know, I did a lot of international traveling because of my activism. And so that was, you know, something that, you know, was blessing because I don't think that maybe we'd have been as keen or just as adapted you know, to being able to do what we're doing now without that. The big trip, of course, when I got engaged to Heather was the trip to Australia in 2003. So the Maggots, our local rugby club, did a World Cup tour and the Australians were hosting it. So I spent most of the tour with the boys and then she and the kids flew over for the end of it. After everybody left, we bought a little van in Brisbane and we decided we were gonna drive around. So we drove all the way up to the far north coast of Queensland, up to the wet tropics, to the Daintree, and spent some time up there. We actually got engaged in Carnarvon Gorge National Park, which is kind of more in the interior of Queensland, but it was an extraordinary place. And so that's where I popped the question to Heather, and of course she accepted. But, you know, we just, at that point, we kept working our way around down into Victoria and obviously the southern part of New South Wales. And our two oldest kids were with us on that trip, you know, and they were much younger then. You know, I think they were like seven and 10 or 11 or something. So I know it had a big impression on them, too. So that's another thing I think is important for Americans and for families is travel with your kids because they learn a lot probably more than in the classroom, just about life and about people, you know, and about the natural world. So, you know, those were very much grounding experiences for me. That's the voice of Jake Krylik. He is one of the owners of Lake Missoula Tea Company. And today, the trail less traveled is being recorded in the back room at Lake Missoula Tea Company, nestled here in the mountains of Missoula, Montana. We've been talking to Jake about his childhood, and when we come back... We're going to talk a little bit more about environmental activism and tea. 
and the travels that T has taken him around the world. The Trail Less Traveled podcast and international outreach programs are made possible by the support from listeners such as yourself. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon can offer you a subscription-style payment method in the amount of your choice in exchange for priority access to the Trail Less Traveled visual series, exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and ad-free podcasting. Please consider helping keep my fiscal raft afloat by visiting patreon.com slash traillesstraveled. Today, the Trail Less Traveled is being recorded at Lake Missoula Tea Company, located here in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, and I'm sitting in the back room surrounded by tea with one of the owners, Jake Krylik. Jake came to Montana in 1985. Jake studied environmental studies at the University of Montana and was involved with environmental activism for 20 years. He still is involved with environmental activism, but he was involved with Earth First, later known as Wild Rockies Earth First, and then over in Australia, part of the Native Forest Network. Jake, environmental activism has always been important, but what I'd like to talk to you about now is why is it so important now to pay attention? Well, I don't think the stakes could be any higher, you know, having been involved in environmental activism for, you know, the last... 30-something years, I can tell you that when I moved here, there was a log truck on every corner. So logging was in its heyday between the Forest Service and the private timberlands. Companies like Plum Creek, which is no longer here, Champion International was around back then. They were cutting millions and millions of board feet every year. And so when I got here, that was the issue. The issue was logging. And you know, we immediately jumped into it. But I think that the biggest thing right now is that all of the planet's life forms are really teetering on the brink. Not all of them may be uh, on the brink of extinction, but are really on that tipping point. And of course, climate change, I think, has brought this, you know, inevitability even closer, if you will. But we still have our federal agencies doing stupid land management out there, you know, and really not respecting the natural world as it should. They're certainly not thinking seven generations down the road. You know, I know that. And so the actions, the management behavior of the agencies still hasn't changed. While they may not be cutting nearly the amount of trees that they once were, they're still cutting in places they shouldn't be. And so for me, in this last four years with Trump and all of his cronies, you know, it's just made my skin boil and my soul, you know, just cringe because he can't even say the word environment. It's not even part of the repertoire. So to go to the point where we almost protected all the roadless areas, now to see them once again basically opened up again for the same forms of development that threatened them back when I moved to Montana, that hurts because it feels like I failed or we as a movement have failed. And so again, that keeps me going, you know, that sense of you can't give up, you gotta keep fighting, but I cannot impress upon people enough. We need to protect every acre 
out there. And that means people are going to have to get off their butts and we're going to have to see more direct action like what we were doing back in the 80s and the 90s. And so I'm really hoping that our younger generation is going to start to heed some of these words because they're not going to change until it becomes so uncomfortable that they have to change. You know, there's been incremental change, but the big major policy changes, again, we still don't have a moratorium on the cutting of old growth trees. It's a pretty good example, but Forest Service, they're not touching that because the timber industry is still too powerful. You know, how about, as I said, the wildest lands in Montana? We've got world-class wildlands, and yet we can't designate any more wilderness. So there's a lot of signals out there that you can read, but now that we're into this and we know that the planet's temperature is going to continue to rise, and so lots of these species are going to be moving north and higher up on the mountainside. And so all of those factors really necessitates, as I said, a real change of mindset. And so we've got to learn that we don't need to keep taking and taking and taking, you know, from the natural world. Um, Nature has its own economy and it works quite well. But when humans intervene and we get involved and we start tinkering with it, generally that can go south in a hurry. And so we've seen lots of examples here in Montana of unsustainable resource extraction and just poor choices. I want to share one story about my friend Gary Steele, who was one of the founders of Montana Earth First, but it was the first action that I ever did. So, you know, this is like a real like, wow. And I can remember driving down, we did it in Yellowstone and it was at the superintendent's headquarters. Bob Barbie was the superintendent at the time. This was in December of 1985. And the issue that we were protesting was the fishing bridge, campground, and RV development. And this was a real sinkhole for grizzlies. In other words, lots of grizzlies had been killed because of conflicts with humans. And some of that's because of, obviously, it's where the Yellowstone Lake leaves and the river so again, there's, there's fish that the, the bears are feeding on. But this RV development was just massive. So a friend of ours, Arthur Dogmeat, a.k.a. Dave Smith, he encouraged us to come down and let's do a little action. And so I don't know who pulled it off, but we got an NBC news crew from San Francisco. So it was a national news crew, came up, and we barged into Barbie's office and presented him with a don't tread on me flag that was stuck into a buffalo chip. And we said, you have got to stop this development at Fishing Bridge. You know, we got on national uh, television. It was picked up and we got a fair amount of local coverage. But it really put that issue of Fishing Bridge on the map for people who really had no idea. And, of course, the Yellowstone grizzly populations, the Long Saga, you know, with the dumps and just, you know, all of the kind of human conditioned bears. But this was really about protecting some of the habitat in the park. So for me, it had a really strong impression. And those guys like Gary and Dave and and my friend Steve Smith, who was all part of it, they were my leaders and my mentors. 
And I will say that, you know, they did a good job because many of us picked up where they left off. And, you know, Gary was doing a lot of guiding for Howie, Howie Wolk, who was one of the co-founders of Earth First at the time. And so we were able to start organizing, start building the movement. And, you know, for those who haven't been around Missoula, you know, in the 1990s, there was an action or a march or a protest almost every week. It was constantly in the newspaper. And so that movement that existed back there, it's gone now. And that's also frustrating. But, you know, it's also life, you know. People change. People move. But what I want to, again, make sure people realize is that the issues haven't gone away. You know, the movement may have gone away or may have been professionalized or, you know, you've got people making money doing this work. And, you know, I also was in that category. I was, you know, a paid environmental activist for quite a few years, not an easy thing to do, but I did it. But ultimately, we haven't finished the job. You know, there's a lot of Montana that we still have to protect. And so for me, those early days, it really, really, I still think about why I'm here today and why I'm still committed, as I said, to protecting every last acre of roadless country that we still have. And again, that's partially for our own survival, but it's definitely also for our own enjoyment. You know, our spiritual, you might say, just the metaphysical part. Mm -hmm. That that we need that, just that image of wilderness, wherever it is in your head, we need that, I think, to survive as a species. So that's my message to folks, you know, in terms of as we move into the next administration, get active, get busy, because there's a lot to protect. That is the voice of Jake Krylik, and we are recording the trailless travel today at Lake Missoula Tea Company. Jake is one of the owners, along with his wife, Heather. We've been talking to Jake about over 20 years of environmental activism here in Montana, as well as Australia, with Wild Rockies Earth First and Native Forest Network in Australia. Jake, I'd like to now talk to you about tea. You're one of the owners of Lake Missoula Tea Company, located here in Missoula, Montana. We're recording the show in the back, surrounded by tea. And so I'd love to talk to you about the ceremony of tea and the travels that tea has taken you on around the world. I was not a tea drinker until I moved to Australia in 1991 and worked at the Rainforest Information Center. And there I learned that you took tea time at 10 and at 2. So that was my first introduction into a Commonwealth country, you know, that were tea drinkers. And I really enjoyed it because it was a time where you could kind of duck out of your work a little bit and then socialize. It, it just was really comforting, I think, to have a cup of tea in the middle of the day, you know, in the middle of your work day. That was my first introduction. I wasn't really a coffee drinker, although, you know, as the coffee revolution rolled on, you know, I started drinking some coffee and love the flavor of coffee, but it's just hard on my guts. So eventually, you know, I started drinking more tea, but really, as Heather explained in her segment, our connection was largely through a relationship that I had had with a rugby player from Tacoma, Washington, Tobin Ropes, who played for the Nomads, and rugby is the largest international fraternity on earth. You know, you go overseas and, you, you know, you hook up with the rugby team and you got a job, you got a place to stay, you got mates to hang out with. And so, you know, for me, 
it was kind of like, I guess, uh, a product of that relationship. Tobin came out and he refed a couple of high school rugby matches for our youth rugby association, for the Montana Youth Rugby Association. And he came and he stayed with us when we were still living up Grand Creek. So this is like probably 2009 or 2010. And he brought some tea, some really good Chinese tea. Uh, he also brought a bunch of chia seeds, you know, which he would eat mm-hmm. when he was refing, just because it gave him a bunch of energy and as he's running around. And again, he planted that seed in our head. And then when our daughter was going to school out there, you know, obviously we had by this time rekindled our friendship and we started going to his tea shop and I was like, whoa, this is really cool. And he had a pretty eclectic, you know, in terms of the shop, not unlike our space, but he had a little bit more in terms of seating in the back of the shop where you could come in and just kind of hang out and drink tea. But he had a lot of cool artwork and it had a really nice vibe to it right in downtown Tacoma. And that's when we really got the idea that maybe this is something that Missoula could use. And again, the main thing I want to say is he has a tea shop, but it was a tea bar. And this is crucial because tea bar, when you say bar, what's it mean? Well, it means that you're probably going to get more than just little old ladies coming in. And so it's attractive to men. It's attractive to younger people. And that was the model that he was using. And it was like, yeah, there are a lot of different kind of people coming in here. And so in the end, he ended up being our model, you know, in terms of his shop and the tea bar. And then also we went out there, I think spring break of 2012. So it was before we'd opened, but we spent two days with him just shadowing him and just kind of learning about everything from the pricing, sourcing, wholesale versus retail, how he was marketing his teas. So we got a lot of info from him, a lot of you know knowledge that otherwise I think would be hard to obtain if you were just starting out from scratch. So he really was helpful in that sense. But, you know, we opened in October of 2012 in, in a little small space on the second floor of the Masonic here, kind of hard to find, tucked away. You know, a lot of people thought it was like someplace like in the Pearl District in Portland or something where, you know, all these little nooks and crannies. But it didn't take us very long to realize that, yeah, there were people that were kind of interested in drinking different tea and better tea. And so we were upstairs for a year and a half and... Then we found out, actually, on our first trip to Indonesia, that Otis, the owner of Bell Tobacco, was going to move down the street. And so this space on the downstairs of the Masonic opened up, and we jumped on that. So we did some renovation, and we moved down here in April of 2014. And I remember Heather's brother, Heisham, had built the bar, and we had to basically cut it in two and take it out the back down the fire escape and you know it was kind of a real process to get that out but we got it down here and put it back together and really Mandela we haven't looked back since you know moving into a a street you know space and having much more room also for people to kind of come in and not just buy tea but to experience it Mm -hmm. and I think that that is the big thing for us you know is not just selling good tea or, you know, sustainable tea, but really trying to educate people about the virtues of it. Because tea really is a great bridge to other cultures. 
That's the voice of Jake Krylik, and we are recording the trail less traveled today at Lake Missoula Tea Company here in Missoula, Montana. When we come back, we're going to learn more about tea and some of the travels that it has taken Jake and his wife Heather on. Hello there. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and I want to take a very short break to thank our sponsor, New West Knifeworks. When you love the tools you use, everyday chores become a joy. A finely crafted knife is an extension of the hand that welds it. That's the motivating idea behind New West Knifeworks founder, Corey Milligan. Milligan moved to Jackson Hole to pursue the good life in his early 20s. To earn a living while enjoying the outdoors, he worked as a line cook in local restaurants. His interest in cutlery came from the desire to make a knife that would better express his love of cooking. New West Knife Works was born out of that passion, a passion which continues to keep the company on the cutting edge. All of New West Knife Works culinary, hunting, and recreational knives are made in the Tetons with the finest American steel and tested by the professional chefs, guides, anglers, and hunters of Jackson Hole. From the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to Bon Appetit and Forbes, top tastemakers appreciate cutlery that is as beautiful as it is useful. Visit newwestknifeworks.com. Jake, let's talk about tea. So Lake Missoula Tea Company's mission is really to bring people good tea from around the world. You know, so we have a little saying, we pick global so you can drink local. Mm -hmm. It's a little thing that we've developed. But what it really means is we're trying to make the world a smaller place by sharing what tea means in different cultures. Tea is the world's most popular beverage after water. You know, it goes way, way, way back. And our tea travels really have, I think, set us apart from other companies. Not to say other companies don't travel, but for us, it's really been foundational in the sense that each company now that we work with, and these are smaller, you know, kind of artisan farms. So these are not mega companies, even, you know, Sonia's farm that Heather talks about, uh, the Nuxabari. It's about 1,200 acres, so it's a mid-sized estate. But mostly we're working with smaller farmers, and those farmers and their staff have really given us a bird's-eye view on things like environmental sustainability, social responsibility, you know, what it means to like really work with the people that you live with. The farms are hubs of activity, not just commercial activity, but also a lot of social activity, a lot of educational activity. I know that, for example, the farm we work with in Indonesia, the Herodong, they now have an eyeglass program where people who need glasses can come to the tea farm and they can get glasses. So again, it's almost like the healthcare, you know, as well. We have traveled, I think, to six different countries Indonesia, then we went to Taiwan and to China, to Yunnan, to Kenya, to India, and we've also been to Colombia. And then I went to Japan in the fall of 2019 to visit the farm and the factory where we get our matcha and some of our other Japanese greens. So 
you know, we're really fortunate to be able to travel like we have. But as I said, those relationships are the anchor of our business. More and more, as we've evolved, we now are doing our own blending. And so as part of that blending, we're using a lot of these teas, the base blends of these teas in our blending. And that means that we can buy a lot more volume. We used to you know, just buy boxes of tea. Now we're buying pallets of tea. And so that usually means that it comes over on a ship, you know, unless you want to pay exorbitant airfare, cargo, you know, prices. So, you know, our scale has definitely gotten bigger, but without having established those relationships, we would not be able to be blending our own teas right now. And so it's just been really, really important for us to have a steady, consistent source of high quality tea. Now, One of the other big things that we adopted, and some of this was obviously at Tobin's suggestion, was you want to focus on loose leaf teas. And the reason for that is loose leaf teas are fresher, more flavorful, and have higher health benefit. Once you put the tea in the tea bag, it starts to dry out. And generally, you know, oftentimes people will say, yeah, it tastes a little stale to me. Well, it's because it's been in the tea bag for so long, you know. And so the enemy of loose tea is light and air. So as long as you're keeping it out of light, you know, in a dark place and keeping it in an airtight canister, tin, bag, you're good. And it'll last for a really long time, you know, a few years. No worries. But focusing on loose leaf teas, you know, um, the tea bag wasn't invented in America, you know, uh, American ingenuity. I think it actually came out at the St. Louis World Fair. Yep. So a long time ago. And believe it or not, obviously, Americans have been drinking tea for a long time. You know, obviously the English in the you know, late 1700s were bringing it. And there was no tea bags back then. So people were drinking loose teas. And then, of course, as we get into the more modern day, you know, the tea bag was invented. And, you know, most people were familiar to drinking relatively cheap, inexpensive black tea. So Lipton comes to mind. But... Like what's happened with coffee, the tea industry has really started to change. And over the last 20 years, the market share of loose leaf teas has grown. It's still only about 4 to 5% of the marketplace in the U.S., so it's a relatively small percentage. But if you go over to places in mainland Europe, in Germany and France, it's much higher England still, you know, because of the amount of breakfast tea they drink, you know, it's it's generally still in a bag or, you know, it's it's the cheap and expensive breakfast tea. Yeah. But even there, it's growing. Obviously, tea drinking cultures themselves, China, Japan, India, they drink tea all the time. And so that was one of the first things we noticed is that it's just ingrained in those cultures. It's what you get when you get up in the morning, you're drinking tea, you're drinking tea throughout the day. And I don't think that it's a surprise that those countries, there's not nearly as many obese people. Generally, they're healthier, and certainly their diets. And I think tea is a part of that. So for us here at Lake Missoula Tea Company, we really push the loose leaf tea. We want people to understand why it's better for you. And also, we want to turn them on to some of our stories. You know, because we have some good stories based on some of these relationships that we've cultivated, you know, over the last eight years. And I think that the joy that we get is mostly, I think, in seeing 
that response from our customers, knowing that we're hopefully being true to some of those environmental and social principles, but we're also really honing in on, well, we got to take better care of ourselves. You know, and I think that's sort of the irony or the silver lining of the COVID stuff is that we're all thinking about our bodies more. We're thinking about our families more. You know, we're thinking about the littler things that in our culture often gets ignored because of the one, I think the pace, but two, I think that it's hard for people to really slow down And like I said, that's where the whole taking a tea break. Now, of course, we've lost that here in the tea bar because we're not allowing people to sit down. You know, you can take a tea to go. But that was the other really interesting aspect, I think, of our business was the fact that people like to come in and have conversations. We don't do Wi-Fi, so you're not coming in and camping out on your computer. You know, we want to talk to you, you know, about the tea and about you. And so, you know, there's a social element to it. And I think that that's often lacking with a lot of people in our country is that we're social beings, you know? We need to reach out to other people. And so, you know, that I think is what's been most demoralizing for a lot of people during the COVID-19 pandemic is that they no longer feel like they have that social crutch. And I feel it, of course, you know, like no Maggot Fest this year. You know, there was a lot of events that didn't happen. We didn't have our German Fest for Arts Missoula. You know, a lot of things that just didn't materialize. First night was just the spotlight this year because we didn't feel comfortable trying to bring groups of people together. You know, so, you know, it's taught us some lessons, I think. But, you know, the lesson of tea is that tea is about bringing people together and you know that beverage you know that can kind of help you share your life and your experiences and do it in a way that is you know obviously non-threatening and it puts you in a calmer you know just more peaceful place and that for me you know other than I said I, I feel so much better as far as my body since I drink tea you know like as far as my stomach rarely now have upset stomachs, you know, like the indigestion and, you know, all the stuff that's commonplace, you know, acid reflux and, you know, all that things because of our, our diets. So tea has been just a really good tonic. And I think that if you look at the history of tea, that's how it started. It started as a tonic that people would drink because it made them feel better. And then eventually evolved into more of a social pastime. But when you are in China, and for me, my most memorable trip of all of our tea trips has been to China just because of the longevity of the culture and going to Yunnan where tea was discovered by Shen Nong. You know, this is the myth in 2700 BC when some tea leaves descended from the tree and fell into his kettle. And he noticed that the water changed color and then he drank some. And again, he felt better. You know, he felt more energy. So yeah, those are the things that, you know, we hopefully can impart people here in Missoula. And obviously now we have a ton of online sales because we're selling our tea all over the country. You know, people love our name and our logo. Um, They like something that conjures up images of the Pleistocene and woolly mammoths. 
And of course, you know, there's no surprise that we have adopted the elephants, are involved with the elephant-friendly certified tea. And, but yeah, I mean, those are all, I think, a reflection of Heather and my values and a sense of wanting to give that to others. What is important to us, we feel, should be pollinated. You know, it, it should spread farther than, you know, certainly our inner circle. Um, so that's the beauty of owning a small business is you can do that. And it's a lot of work, a lot of hard work, but we feel good about what we've done so far and, and where we're going. It's certainly growing. You know, we hope that we're obviously around for another decade or two or three. Yeah. That's the voice of Jake Krylik. He is one of the owners of Lake Missoula Tea Company, located here in Missoula, Montana. Jake, as we record this, we are experiencing a global pandemic, and so people are able to come into the shop and get a tea to go, and eventually one day they'll be able to come back in and enjoy all of the beautiful things that it tea bar encompasses. But what are some of your favorite teas right now that you might recommend someone come and check out? Well, I am drinking the Eastern Beauty right now, which is one of the oolong teas. So oolong, the Chinese will say wulong, dragon tea. Oolong tea is in between green and black tea. It just means that it's partially oxidized. So you have some oolongs that are closer to green tea, lightly oxidized. You have some oolongs that are closer to black that are more oxidized. And the Eastern Beauty is somewhat in the middle, but it just has a really excellent flavor and is one of the teas that you can steep two or three times. So it's more economical. You know, you can keep drinking it. I also really like to drink some of our Puar teas. So the Puar teas are from the region of Yunnan, the Sichuan-Bana region, which borders Myanmar, Burma, Laos, and Vietnam. It's that little hunk of Yunnan at the very bottom where the Mekong River leaves China. It's subtropical down there, and this is where the Puar teas come from. But the Puar teas are aged fermented Chinese teas, so they're probiotic. It's live cultures, so you've got tea that's just breaking down over a six-week period, and then eventually they'll dry it out into a loose leaf form or they'll compress it into cakes or bricks and this is what the Chinese would use to trade with the Tibetans the Tibetans would bring their horses and the Chinese would trade their Puar tea so this is the ancient horse tea trade routes which we were able to experience when we went up to Chiang Mai Mountain in Sichuanbana and as I said it was like the best tea trip ever but it was pretty hard and obviously it's not easy to travel in some of these places but if you're adventuresome you can go there and you will be rewarded. So I would recommend the chocolate mint puar as an excellent after-dinner tea, kind of a dessert-type tea. I would also recommend the sticky rice puar, which is blended with an herb that smells and tastes like rice, which many people find enjoyable. And then, of course, for those who really want the most authentic, you know, we have some actual cakes that you can buy you know, that range in size from like 350 to 500 grams. I mean, you're just picking off pieces of that and then steeping those pieces. And it's a weight loss tea. As I said, lots of times the Chinese told us they'll drink it after meals because it helps digest your food as well, break down some of the fats and acids in your stomach. So give those a try. Give some of the Puar teas or, like I said, the Eastern Beauty is, is one of our oolongs. We have been on the trail as traveled with Jake Krylik. He is one of the owners of Lake Missoula Tea Company, located here in Missoula, Montana. 
And if you were inspired, as I was, to check out Lake Missoula Tea Company, you can visit their website, lakemissoulateacompany.com. They ship all over the United States, as well as Canada. The shop is open in downtown Missoula, located at 136 East Broadway. And we are open from 9 to 6, Monday through Saturday. Sunday, we're open from 10 to 5. Beautiful. I just want to say thank you so much, Jake, for joining me here today on The Trail Less Traveled. And let's end your show with three bits of advice. So this first bit of advice comes from the other farmer that we met in India. His name is Tenzig. And I consider him to be a true earth firster, true deep ecologist. He's a Bodo man, so he's an indigenous tribe that lives up in northern India. And his saying, and he literally had this on a banner as we walked into his complex, his little yard, his little farm. If you respect nature, nature will respect you. And it just really struck me as something that, you know, I'm not going to forget that. And so I haven't. The other one, of course, very important. If you're an Edward Abbey fan, wilderness needs no defense, just more defenders. So that one's important to me because of my background. And then the last one comes from my dad who passed away in 2016, but he was pretty quiet and soft-spoken. But I'll never forget at one point when I was, I think I was in high school or something, he just told me, never feel sorry for yourself and to be patient and your turn will come. And I think that it's hard to realize what that means, but I think we have a lot of people in this country that, you know, have a tendency to feel sorry for themselves. And that's not what we need right now. We need a lot more vim and vigor and we need the enthusiasm that comes with being confident that we're doing the right thing. And when you elect somebody like Trump, that can be hard for some people to wrap their heads around. You know, how could we elect somebody who's so oblivious to the natural world and has no sense of history or science, you know, or, or really any feeling for other cultures beyond our own? And I think that can be really, really demoralizing for a lot of people. But as I said, I just keep thinking of my dad said, you know, you know, shut up and, you know, go out there and do, do, your, do your job, you know, do your work. So don't feel sorry for yourself. And then again, just be patient and some good things will happen. You've been listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series dedicated to documenting humanity and planet Earth by collecting stories and sounds from around the world. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Jake Krylik. Jake is one of the owners of Missoula's very own Lake Missoula Tea Company. The Trail Less Traveled airs every Sunday evening at 6, Mountain Time. You can stream the show live online at trail1033.com. And the show is also an award-winning podcast, which is available on all platforms. You can view photos, learn about our outreach programs, and view the full show archive on the official website, traillesstraveled.net. We encourage your feedback and involvement, so if you'd like to get in touch, please don't hesitate to reach out. My adventure tip this week involves tea. If you find yourself making tea for someone, especially if you happen to be in the United Kingdom, make sure that you warm the teapot 
and the cups with a little bit of hot water before you actually brew your tea in the pot. During my travels, I found that there are a few tea faux pas, and this is definitely one of them. So just be mindful and make sure you warm the pot. And for bonus points, warm the cups too. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please do something for Mother Earth and get outside. Shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself. <laughs>